Julian gave me a beginning in grad school. He let me be his roommate. He let me hang out with all of his friends. He brought me to journal clubs and department socials. But most of all, he helped me feel like a part of this community of scientists here at UChicago. Julian has given me so much. But he's much more than just a kind and generous friend. He is a complex and interesting person with a unique perspective on how to conduct science. Now, this is a chill episode of Science and Feelings. Julian and I settled at the end of the summer into a conversation about how philosophy has influenced his life and how it should really be influencing all scientists' decisions. In this conversation, I thought Julian was thoughtful and intentional. I hope you think the same. This is Science and Feelings. Um, I'm Julian DeCuny. I'm a fourth-year grad student at the University of Chicago in the Committee on Neurobiology. I study vision in the lab of John Mansell. Um, like when, um, when you're at the myriad cocktail parties you attend, <laughs> how do you describe like your research to people who ask, like, oh, what, um, what do you do? Well, first I say I study vision, but I like mm -hmm. to quickly get to the point that I study perception. Um, so ah. what sort of makes it through the sort of first stages of processing to conscious experience, what allows humans and animals to act on what we're sensing rather than just sensing per se. And then their eyes get really big and they're like, whoa, yeah. okay. Yeah, if they've made it with me that far. <laughs> I don't know. That is kind of tough. Yeah, it is, it is kind of tough to do the, the quick elevator pitch and like keep people interested. You got to have the... Uh, you have to have like four or five elevator pitches and you have to read the context in which to, oh. to actually give the correct one. So there's, there's multiple. So there's the, the 10 second, the 30 second, mm. the minute, the five minute. Right. And then and, the 10 minute. Right. And there's different levels of like detail and audience for each of those, right? Mm. You know? Right. If you're doing like a job talk and you're like getting lunch and another professor asks like, oh, what do you do? And then you're like, okay, different level than you haven't seen your grandfather for like a year. And he's like, what do you do? Mm. Or the, uh, honestly, the, the, uh, the people that I talk about my research the most that are like not in science are Uber drivers. I talk to Uber drivers about this all the time. This is, this is, is a super funny? common thing though. Yeah. You are the second person in a week to mention this. Oh, really? Yeah. So, like, what, just kind of in, like, the normal, like, oh, you know, introduction, small talk, that kind of thing? Yeah. Um, are any of them, like, genuinely interested? Um, yeah, no, definitely. And you'll, you'll, I'll be surprised with someone that was, like, was, like, so, uh, I heard that we only detect changes in our visual world um and less so uh you know like Whoa. something statically in front of us um the first moments of us uh glancing at something or what we actually perceive and not 
the thing in its totality. Yeah. Um, and and I'm like, yeah, that's what my thesis project is on. That's what I study exactly. And he just, it's almost, it was so weird because at that point I only had said, like, I study vision. Right. And he sort of anticipated uh, this, like, interesting question, which is very highly non-intuitive as well. Like, unless no. you've really, like, sort of grappled with, the strange idiosyncrasies of our sensory systems. You don't really like right. think of our brain filtering out all this information. And, mm-hmm. um, and he's sort of like, uh, hit the nail on the head and he like knew this like little factoid, which I sort of study. Um, so that was, uh, really cool. <laughs> and so wow. of course I like went way too in depth with him and he was like, Oh, okay. It was sort of like <laughs> overwhelming like him immediately, but but I think he got something out of it. Yeah. Know, yeah. yeah. So, so I thought that was kind of cool. <laughs> wow. So sometimes that'll happen. <laughs> yeah. If you talk to enough Uber drivers, you'll meet like your doppelganger. Oh, yeah. <laughs> was there like was there like a big crossroads moment in your career where you're like, I could either do science or I could do this other big thing? Well, <laughs> Yes. Um, so I, I have a sort of circuitous route into neuroscience yeah. where um, I had always been strong in science and math, but I, uh, by the time I got to college, I had taken like a bio and a chem class, and it just felt um, not right for me. Uh, and hmm. I just went like, you know, 180 and uh, took a bunch of writing classes, which I also had an affinity for. Mm. Um, and specifically poetry. I really like poetry. Okay. Um, it, it was just like classes were um, almost therapeutic. Um, it was, I was just drawn to the depth at which you could analyze words and Mm. all the possible meanings and associations you could form with their combination, um, with other words. And it was just, uh, sort of fascinating and sort of like this, uh, endless pot of things to learn about language, but through an art form, you know? mm. um, and through being creative and yeah. through working with that medium itself. Yeah. So wow. I, after two classes that were um, remarkable, I uh, became a poetry writing major. And mm. so I, yeah, so I did that. Um, and about a year into that, I um, had taken uh, some philosophy classes that yeah. I thought were also fascinating and I fell in <laughs> love with that. And so, uh, and yeah, so I, I was, I was doing that for a while. I was doing a lot of poetry and philosophy and, um, it actually came that I, uh, was taking a philosophy of mind class, which deals with sort of like the philosophical question of what is a mind, which is sort of like really like, how do we talk about it? That's, I think, a better phrasing of it, which is mm, like, okay. how do we talk about mind terms and physical terms and relate them? Um, and it was fascinating. I, I th- That immediately was like the, the question for me 
like the mind. Oh. Um, how do we experience? How are there a certain set of criteria that once met create a mind and physical criteria, you know? Um, oh, yeah. That's so weird. Yeah. Um, so, you know, some molecules push other molecules around in a way such that a mind is created. It, it seems completely absurd, you know? It, it quickly became like, okay, I'm going to do like uh, my, you know, my senior thesis on something. Sure, like sure. So I was like, you know, I'm going to take some... Uh, some neuroscience classes and f- some philosophy of neuroscience classes to like sort of like, like flesh this out a little flesh bit, flesh this out, you oh. know, really make this much my specialty. Mm-hmm. And I took a neuroscience class taught by this like 70 some year old, like emeritus uh, <laughs> professor who was, um, he was a very old school, like sort of like, um, you know, like, knock out a brain area just like oh boy suck it out with a vacuum and yeah. uh, see what went wrong to see how <laughs> that brain area did so it's it's you know it's very um old school neuroscience yeah. and and he and this this is where uh oh yeah sorry this is at university of pittsburgh okay yeah sorry to just fill in the oh, picture yeah. uh so uh yeah he was just so captivating really and based on what I've told you about my other interests, you probably see where this is going. Yeah. I <laughs> I just like fell in love with this topic. And <laughs> uh and yeah, but it, this one, yeah, it was quite different though, because it was um it was sort of like integrating my interests. Oh, like my my satisfaction of my interests was sort of like cumulative. Mm. My ability to sort of like answer these questions and talk about these questions and think about these questions was getting better and better uh, with the integration of poetry and then philosophy and then finally neuroscience. Hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I, I just like got super into the, you know, this like very concrete way of talking about what gives rise to the mind, you know? Yeah. And it ended up being a, uh, that was the last one. There was no more majors <laughs> after that. <laughs> well, you were already working on your senior thesis, so like right. there was, you were kind of running out. Oh uh, no, a I bit. was. I was. Uh, well, no, I was going to graduate in like three years or something with those majors. Oh my god! Because I well, okay, graduated three years with two majors. Yeah, and but but okay. third one pushed you over the hump um, to a regular four years. <laughs> yeah. Okay, but it was it was like um, these majors were just like smaller and. And I just like sort of loaded up on them. I sort of like yeah. did it, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so like I think my philosophy degree was my most useful degree, um, hmm. for the reason that it taught me how to think and be critical in a way that science classes typically don't. And I, hmm. um, yeah, I really felt that it set me up very well for neuroscience perhaps even more so than an undergraduate neuroscience major. So you think that, and would you suggest that like people, if they have the opportunity to like take a philosophy class? Yes. I think everyone should take a philosophy class, period. Science or not, I think everyone yeah. should take a philosophy class. I think the most broadly applicable um, 
philosophy class that I took was an ethics class, but it was um, what I want to term meta-ethics. There might be a more appropriate term, which is just mm. how do we construct ethical systems? And okay. that was fascinating. And I think it's, it's one of these classes where I just remember every reading. I think that it is maybe a more broadly applicable and, you know, practical type of philosophy that people can, can, you know, read up on and just to know about it is, it's just, I think, really good for interpreting how to be a good person. It's Um, a good tool set. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So that's, so that's the philosophy class that everyone should take. But um, within science, I think like any, uh, philosophy class that can have some kind of uh, debate w- is beneficial. That's mm-hmm. like, you know, it's it has to be discussion-based, and there are going to be these intro classes where it's just a lecture, but that's absurd for philosophy. Yes. And anytime you have that, and even, even when you're arguing against something that you know is wrong. And that's the thing. Like, in <laughs> philosophy, there are things where it's like, this is the, the worst theory I've ever heard. <laughs> um, but it's really hard to disprove it sometimes. Mm, interesting. Uh, so, so a lot of philosophy is hitting your head against the wall. Um, but it really makes you sure about your claims. And mm-hmm. I think that's a very useful practice that everybody should, I think, have exposure to, especially in science. Um, sure. Because, you know, maybe you're surrounded by people that all make the same assumptions that you do. Yeah. And maybe, you know, you don't have to take this step back. But if you're talking to people outside of your field, let's say you're in evolution, you study evolution. Sure. And what do you do when you talk to somebody that doesn't believe in evolution? This is like the thing you're dedicated your life to and you yeah. probably can't prove it to them, you know? So, uh, or maybe you can. No, that's a great, that is a fantastic example. And it's calling back to all those situations where I've met people who are stubborn and defensive about just their ideas and not willing to change. And it's extraordinarily difficult for me to construct an argument that will actually help them understand and actually change their mind. That's so difficult for me. Right. And like, yeah, I took, I took like three or four philosophy classes in undergrad and it's still like, I, I just, I didn't figure it out. Mm. Um, so I think you're right that that's not to say that you don't benefit from philosophy classes, but that, uh, that scientists will run into that situation where they do, where they are confronted with Mm. something outside of their typical, like world view. Mm-hmm. It's a good point. Yeah. And I, I, I would say that even within science, it could be healthy. So it's not just for talking to people outside of science. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, yeah. But, you know, for the reasons that it's just sort of like training in rhetoric and how to argue um, mm. and how to prove a point. But it may make you skeptical of assumptions that people in the field have been, you know, making for decades, hundreds of years, maybe. And be able to actually be that 
sort of paradigm shifter, the person mm. that sort of finds the crack in this like prevailing theory and be able to actually have a critical enough eye to see that. You spent a lot of your undergrad kind of falling in love with a bunch of different things. Yeah. Were you worried at any point that you weren't going to be able to like give a science career a go because of like limited experience or something like that once you're, once you were graduating? Yeah. So I, it's actually kind of just like a series of sort of being lucky and I, I don't believe in uh, luck though. Okay. Luck, well, it, luck is a combination of an opportunity presenting itself and you being prepared to take advantage of the opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. And I, definitely put myself in a position for an opportunity to arise. <laughs> so very good. Uh, I, I mean, I applied for things, so, um, <laughs> but that is a good concrete way of yeah. taking, uh, showing up for opportunities. Yeah. So that's how actually I, that's like why I went to the NIH. Um, mm. so we met in the same program. We did. Uh, it's a post baccalaureate program, uh, two years maximum. And everybody is essentially bound for, uh, med school or grad school. And the uh, program kind of assumes that you are yeah. and is structured as such. Yeah. Exactly. Such that it's very hard to stay more than two years and impossible to stay more than three. Right. And I just sort of like landed in like a perfect lab for me that, mm. um, that really showed me for the first time the like day in and day out of science. And I had done some research that you know, I wasn't even that passionate about in undergrad. Um, But this was truly like the first time that I was in a lab where I was doing something that I really cared about. I cared about the questions, cared about the the techniques, thought the techniques were fascinating and Mm -hmm. cool. And it was sort of like a a good test because it was, you know, full time, nine to five. Right. Um, And, uh, and I sort of like had some autonomy. I had like sort of like, um, you know, my own sort of pet projects, and it it, That's it was wonderful. yeah. And it was um, sort of like a opportunity to like glimpse at what grad school would be like. So I think it was like a pre grad school grad school. It was it was a fascinating uh, sort of experience, and I was doing really cool stuff. And I actually got to work with data for the first time, and given some autonomy and. And I presented at, you know, the major conferences and it, it was really, yeah, it was really an exciting thing to be exposed to. So I think it prepared me very well and it got me, it, it reinvigorated my like of neuroscience. It was, it became oh, beyond, uh, you know, just the, there's like this initial thing that I think we all have in neuroscience to understand the mind. These very like lofty sort of goals. Perhaps. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Um, but for answering more down to earth, maybe uh, questions, uh, they still fascinated me and, and, you know, motivated me to do the work. You have to have Mm -hmm. a question that is still like continuously day after day, still fascinating to you uh, enough to motivate you to, to do that uh, often grueling lab work. So, yeah. Do you find that those kind of, more down-to-earth specific incremental questions do you find that in order to motivate yourself they 
those questions have to link to broader conceptual kind of fundamental questions. I, I want to understand how the mind works. I think that's the most fundamental and interesting question to me. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm understanding an aspect of the mind of the mind right now. uh, Perception. Um, Yeah. It's, I think a big enough concept where it's satisfying to me philosophically, but it's also tackleable. It is a thing you can parameterize and understand the components of so mm-hmm. that you can understand what is necessary to get to perception. Mm-hmm. And, and I think yeah. that's, um, that's really exciting to me, you know? So, uh, yeah, so I'm still addressing these like fundamental questions that are all related to how does the mind work? How is the mind created? Um, but yeah, I don't know what the possible applications will be. I'm not going to go as far as to say like, it doesn't matter if they're never applied. I hope, you know, it's applied to in some way. Sure. Um, uh, but humanity has kind of realized that, you know, creating knowledge is useful kind of in its own right. Yeah. And it's, you often can't predict where things will come from. Yeah. I mean, I mean, that's why we do basic science in every way, right? That the reason the government throws money at every field pretty much is because we don't know where the next thing is going to come from. And it's important to just like bet on everything. Right. Um, you know, and it makes it, you know, really hard to know, like, to ask the question, you know, what does society need right now? Does it oh, need God. basic science or applied or, yeah, I know that's both, such a big all. question. Yeah, I know. Yeah, <laughs> you, you, you want both. I mean, all, all this stuff, you want clinical trials on drugs that might help, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, we, we still have to like also at the same time have this sort of like in parallel, just the basics, you know, how does the mechanism right. work? Because if all we did was stop all basic science now and apply all of our current knowledge we wouldn't get very far no we actually <laughs> wouldn't be able to do very much no it would be if, if we had no understanding of the mechanism we would be just throwing darts at a dartboard exactly you know? so exactly and that's yeah. the thing that is like sort of hard to tease out is like there are a million possible causes that it's really hard to to do these sort of like dart at a dartboard experiments where we're mm-hmm. uh, just, you know, oh, maybe it was the, you know, the the amount of electricity around somebody or something, you know, like right. the amount of wires. Got too much ether creates, in yeah, their heads. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, which, yeah. you know, we could, we could guess at something, but, uh, and make informed guesses, but I think like having a really good mechanistic understanding of how, uh, our world around us affects our mind um, will allow us to better, you know, or live better lives, like be happier, um, be good. <laughs> that is what you get from taking philosophy. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I don't think that naturally occurs to people to, to really question, question their reality yeah. in, in such a fundamental way. So what you need to do is like start a lab 
that integrates all of those things yeah. right that like Maybe. takes undergrads and takes graduate students and like helps them understand how to do science in this more in, in this really interesting way yeah i'm trying to think of what that lab would look like right <laughs> yeah well well what's great about you know being a pi is that you can kind of like build the lab a lab the way you want for the most part right mm. it's kind of your own little company mm-hmm. in some ways yeah it's just weird to think about yeah but. it's my little company oh it sounds so capitalist yeah <laughs> I know. whatever you want commune yeah <laughs> it's my little commune yeah i like that more yeah that's good but yeah no i yeah i do like to sort of like spread this idea my work and what i'm interested in otherwise often doesn't necessarily reflect this broader goal that's um, hard yeah, it is hard. Uh, I do think it's, again, contributing to it in the way that mm-hmm. it's also contributing to our knowledge of schizophrenia and how to treat it. Um, it's it's applicable to all these things. Um, yeah. And, again, just this the basic sort of mechanistic understanding is how we're going to get to all these goals, including my extremely, extremely lofty one. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, but I think it's like uh, it's something that I think a lot of people realize but don't really express that this could help many more aspects of our lives. Mm. So. That's a good thing for people to consider. Yeah. That's, that's true. Maybe philosophy helps. <laughs> maybe. Maybe. <gonna>... Maybe. <laughs> From your, like, whole experience... Uh, you know, up to this point, like looking back, is there anything that you, is there like little nuggets of advice that you would give people? Wow. There's, I could, there's like so many answers. To this I know. Question. Well, <laughs> you'll have to, you'll have to come back and we'll do like a, a big broad, how to succeed in science episode. Oh, that'd be Julian cool. Cooney. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I don't know. I think that, um, I did get into it for like a weird reason. I was definitely like, a weirdo who's this poetry kid (laughs) with this like emo hair (laughs) and i want to encourage people coming from different places i guess to like uh think that you can do this especially if you're like in the pre like grad school (laughs) like where it's like yeah people can come in from all sorts of fields and be really successful in neuroscience and maybe you'll have to like catch up more in grad school but it's you can do that you can do that it's it's doable it's within the realm of possibility yeah if you need help with something like reach out Mm -hmm. and ask people um people will often help you um you know there's like this worry of being like a burden on people around you if you're like asking uh but yeah and people often just want to to help you know it's like yeah. one of these things it's like people always just like want to be interviewed on podcasts people just want <laughs> that you know, want these things it's you know because i mean it, there's it's validation in some ways right like oh you're coming to me because you think i have the answer yeah turns out i do have the answer <laughs> here right yeah it's it's yeah people want to help and you just have to take the initiative yeah that's a common thread through a lot of these conversations it's just like ask do the thing yeah. Yeah. And because uh, people will respond very positively. Exactly. To that. Exactly. Um, yeah. So I, I also think like having uh, like passions like outside of 
work uh, yes. are like really important, and mm-hmm. that could even come in the form of like just reading up on a different field of science or something. You know, oh it, yeah, you know it could be, but you know I've I've just have all these other interests, and I'm happiest I think when I'm like still in touch with them, including my writing, including uh, talking philosophy with people. Yeah, because uh, that's fun. Just taking your mind into a completely different place and then putting it back can be can be really beneficial oh yeah so that's often something i recommend to people yeah have a hobby yeah (laughs) so you run for example i do i do run you like to destroy yourself my knees are are just (laughs) dust i love pain give it to me (laughs) well julian thank you for being on science and feelings (laughs) Of course. (laughs) Science and Feelings. I like that name. Yay.